If you're new or visiting this morning, welcome, even online, hello. And uh, we are in our series in 1 John, uh, the series called Walking in the Light. And it's been a really good series. I hope this morning we'll speak as well. Last week, we walked through the uh, difference between the spirit of Cain and the spirit of Abel. All right, if you were here, you remember that. And uh, we saw that it didn't so much have to do with the right gift as it had to do with the right heart. And we were strongly warned not to hold a spirit of resentment in our hearts, as Cain did, which eventually led to the murder of his brother. In other words, don't let things fester. They just go sour. They just, they just lock up, and it ends up taking you out. Rather than being resentful towards our brothers and sisters of Christ, we found out we're to one another each other. There's a whole bunch of one another's you, in the New Testament. You can look them up. And uh, it's just be kind to one another, love one another. And that's what John is encouraging them to do here. And John's going to bring up a very important issue this morning. So that's all good and well, but what happens when our heart condemns us? So let's pray before we go, and then we'll continue with this. Father, uh, we know what it's like for our heart to condemn us. Matter of fact, we battle that often. And as we walk into that, Lord, we seek you this morning that this would be a good word for us. Lord, may you energize it, walk among it, talk to us, have conversations. We seek you for that. Your, your presence, your manifest presence is welcome here. And we ask for this in your name. Amen. All right. Uh, so this, like I mentioned in the prayer this morning, the topic I brought up is uh, one that all of us can relate to. And I think a battle that we've all faced many times. What do we do when our heart condemns us. John starts the discussion this way. If you've got your Bibles or your phone, whatever you're using this morning, uh, we're looking at verses 19 and 20 to start. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. As we start off, notice that this section in 1 John uh, starts off as an encouragement. Uh, it uh, but the problem is many of us didn't hear that, okay? Uh, this is massively important because as I introduced the topic this morning, I'm very aware that many of our tapes began to play. You didn't even hear what I said in the prayer because all of a sudden the tapes were playing and that's right and your heart was going and the wrong voice was speaking. We didn't hear the uh, we are of the truth part. We didn't hear uh, reassure our heart before God part. We didn't hear God is greater than our heart part. We heard God knows everything, which in our translation is uh-oh. Right? And we heard that when our heart condemns us part. And we are saying to ourselves, yes, it does. Ah. See, the voice will whisper, I told you so. You're not right with God. And you never will be. The tape will continue to play. I can list your flaws. I can list your sins. I know your past. You were full of sin before you knew Jesus, and even worse, you've continued to sin since you knew him. Do you really think an all-holy God is going to allow a dirty, filthy thing like you into his presence? In John's setting, this was actually exacerbated by the detractors. Uh, we've talked a lot about them claiming they had a higher knowledge or a greater light. 
and then they, John's followers, are going to be left behind because they didn't embrace this new knowledge or esoteric light. That sound familiar to today? Right? Maybe we're out. Maybe they were left behind. You know, in the book of Daniel, the hand wrote on the wall, right? Many, many, take you farson. You've been weighed in the scales and found wanting. And you're sitting there this morning going, this is horrible. See, I knew it. I should have never come to church this morning. Get me out of here. All right, can we just stop for a second? Can we hit the pause button? And let's pray again. Father, I know how tapes work. I know how the mind works. I know how spiritual warfare works. I know how stuff kicks up. I know how Satan tries to distract. I know how he tries to blind. I know how he tries to crowd out. I know how he tries to lie about you and your word and everything that has to do with your kingdom. Keenly aware that this topic is going to kick up tapes that may override anything else a person will hear this way. I'm asking in the power of your spirit, you'd shut those tapes down. Give us your peace this morning, Lord. May a spirit of peace and supplication and comfort Come over us this morning as your beloved children. Silence the accuser. Drive out the whispering voices. Let us be deeply at peace with you and give us the ability to hear your encouraging word this morning. Amen. All right, let's go back at this. So the whole reason that John's writing uh, this stuff is to tell them, is to assure them. He wants them to know they're okay. They're doing all right. Look again at what it says. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before. In other words, have confidence. For whenever our hearts condemn us, its assumption is that it does, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Let's just look at those three reassurances that John gives. Okay, Reassurance number one, we are of the truth. Now, I want to break this into three parts just so you can see that this is manifold, not just one thing. Uh, first of all, Jesus is the truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. John says that we are of the truth because we are of Jesus. In other words, therefore, Jesus is our anchor. Jesus before Pilate. Fascinating scene. If you've never read it, go into the Gospels and watch this dialogue. Jesus is talking. Pilate is asking him questions. And Jesus says before Pilate, For this reason I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate looked at him and kind of in disdain, what is truth? Here's the odd thing. Pilate was looking right at the truth and didn't even recognize it when he was talking to him. That's how we can be blinded. That's how we can be deceived. It can be right in front of us, and you don't see it. My dad always say, ah, close enough to bit you, right? And that meant if it had been a snake, it would have bit you. It was so close, it was right in front of you. You didn't even see it. That's where Pilate was. So when our hearts condemn us, we have to go back to the truth. So first of all, Jesus is the truth. Second, the Holy Spirit is the truth. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. If you read another great section in Scripture, John 14, 15, 16, and 17, it's called Jesus' High Priestly Prayer. Interesting enough, written by John again, right? John's memory clued in on these things. And in that High Priestly Prayer, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth numerous times. Satan's voice always creates confusion and doubt. The Holy Spirit brings wisdom and a peace that passes understanding. 
The Holy Spirit underlines, amplifies, and reveals God's heart towards us. When you're in doubt, the Holy Spirit say, hey, come back, look this way, turn, turn back this way. The Holy Spirit will always back the Word of God. And the Word of God will always complement and line up with the Spirit of God. And because of that then, therefore, the Bible is the truth as well. This means it's imperative that you know what the Bible says and where it says it. Again, it is not good enough to say, well, it's somewhere in the Bible. Well, where? I don't know. Somewhere. Well, Old or New Testament? I don't know. I don't even know there's an Old or New Testament. You, You have to know where it is. You have to be able to get there. The word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. That's a lot of reasons why we don't want to read it, right? It cuts pretty close to the bone most of the time. It will keep you on track, and it will keep you from self-deception, okay? You have been, what John's saying is you've been born again of the living spirit of Jesus. Hang on to that with all you have. All right, so that's the first encouragement. first encouragement is the truth. The second encouragement is that this truth reassures our hearts. The biblical word assurance would be that we would, what I said earlier, confidence, being reminded with a positive outcome in mind. No, no, I got you, you're mine. Assurance is that God is not lying to us. A great friend of mine taught his kids, they were little, he said, why should we not lie? They went, I don't know, He said, we shouldn't lie because God doesn't lie. It's the nature of God not to lie. Lying is the language of hell. Truth is the language of heaven. Assurance is that God is not lying to us, has not lied to us, and will never lie to us. Jesus says that a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench. That no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. That nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Assurance is a promise. I want you to be confident. Confident of what? That we can trust him, that he will keep his word. Our confidence is in who God is, not in who we are. And where does that assurance come from? John draws it. He makes this statement that is meant as an encouragement. God is greater than our heart. God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. This is very important because it has to do with who God is, and that his word, both living and written, will stand against all accusations against him. That's really, really important. That is why it's so critical that my identity be in him. Who you are in Christ is the most significant fact about you, period. It's not whether you're young or old, male or female. It's not about if you're a college student. It's not about if you're high school. It's not about if you've got degrees. It, none of that. Not about if you're single. Not if you're about you're married. It's not, those are all important things, but they're nowhere close to the importance of you being in Christ, that that is your identity. You know who you are. Who I am in Christ, again, is the most important thing about me or you. And when my heart condemns me, I have to go back to what God has said about me and for me and believe his claims out trump my mind and my deceptive heart. You know, in our culture, all those shows, all of them, follow your heart. And I'm in my house going, no! Ah! I go, that's a terrible show. And my kids are, oh, dad, give it up, all right? You know, but 
No, because our hearts deceive us. Our hearts lie to us. Our hearts don't tell us the truth. And we get in massive trouble when we just, quote unquote, follow our hearts. We are to follow the truth. Another one in our culture. All, everything's designed just so that you will be happy. No. God did not design life that you would be happy. God designed life so that you would be holy. It's our our constitution should not read life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness because that's just a whole bunch of selfish people pursuing what they think is right for them. It should be right, life, liberty, and the pursuit of holiness. Do you think that would have made a little different in our country over the last 100, 250 years? See, most of us don't realize this till we get married. We get married thinking it'll make us happy and then God says, awesome, this is going to be a great holiness thing. There's a reason people are laughing, right? So, so this assurance here, God is greater than our heart. God's word will stand against all accusations. And that's why, again, it's so critical, hear me this morning, that your identity, who you are, is in Christ, anchored. When my heart condemns me, I have to go back to what God says about me. I have to remember and not let my heart lie to me. So, all right, that's all good theology, right? Thanks, Pastor Steve. That's what we expected you to say. What does this look like in real life, right? When, when you're not here, when you're at home alone or you're in your apartment alone or you're at school or you're hanging with your buddies or you're out uh, you know, shopping or doing that kind of stuff, how, how does that look when you're away from here? Not on Sunday morning, but the rest of the week. When, when I'm wrestling with my heart condemning me, when you go black, when you suddenly are down and you're feeling depressed and you are like, I'm not sure I can make it another day. What steps do I take? What's my foundation? Well, first, let's do this identity piece again. Colossians uh, chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, you'll see it up on the screen, says this, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, God has tucked you safely away somewhere. He has hidden you, hidden who you are in Christ. Okay? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's why we go to church. That's why we pray. That's why we read the Bible because we believe ultimately Jesus is coming back and he's going to collect those who are his own and we want to be his own. And we don't want to shrink back. We want to go, yes, I knew you would do it, right? And I'm in you. Boom, this is great. That'll be a wonderful time. Philippians, and by the way, we'll be overreacting way more than that, okay? We'll, we'll look like charismatics when that happens. It's going to be fun, Okay? But then Philippians 3 says this, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, in other words, all the good things I've done, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. In other words, my righteousness comes from the fact that I've placed my faith in someone. It's not that I've lived a good life. That's a good thing. I'm glad we do. And it's not that I've avoided sin. That's a good thing. I'm glad we do. And it's not that I come to church. That's a good thing. I'm glad we do. None of that. It's I have put my faith in someone. I have anchored it in this someone. And I've anchored it in, and it depends on faith. And so it's paramount that we always encourage each other in our faith. Stay anchored. Don't drift. Don't float. Don't, 
Don't get distracted. Don't, right when you're driving, don't drift off the road into the ditch. If you've ever done that, it's a surprising occurrence. Right? Same thing with faith. A lot of us are good people, and we get distracted, and we drive into the ditch, and pow, sin. And we're like, wake up call. Hello. Like, oh, right? Ouch. Yes, that's what it's designed to do. Okay, so if my identity is in Christ, are you tracking with me so far? If my identity is in Christ, we're anchored there. Okay, then how do I go about battling condemning thoughts? This is really important. How do I overcome strongholds that I have battled most of my life? That if they were flashed up on the screen, I would die of embarrassment. How do I recognize and defeat the schemes of Satan? Obviously, we'll not be able to answer all of these in depth, but I, I want to get you started. Uh, if you want to take, a, a, take this a little further, uh, I'd like to recommend a book to you. It's a book by Neil Anderson. It's called The Bondage Breaker. And uh, he has steps to freedom in Christ in that book, and he's got some uh, marvelous steps. Uh, the stories will not be you, okay? They are not you, but the principles are you. And you will find yourself in that book. And uh, if you get to the steps of freedom, he gives some marvelous things. But let's just break this down for what we can this morning. Obviously, can't do the whole book this morning, but we'll just take a couple key steps so you can get started. Here are several practical steps that are really helpful in overcoming condemning thoughts. Step number one, uh, the first step, um, and by the way, all of these should be understood as cooperating with God's grace and operating out of our identity in Christ. This is not get a better method, pull up your bootstraps, you can do this in your own strength. This is a faith step. This is I'm going to cooperate with God and his grace that he gives me. But the first one is, one of the reasons you may be having a condemning thought is because you're sinning. Nobody knows you're sitting. You look really great this morning. We're beautiful people. I even dressed up. I got a tie. I'm, I'm hot. I'm good with God, Okay. And that we look at each other, we say, how you doing? Fine. Right? But that does not mean we did not sin this week. Either in our attitude, thought, tongue, whatever. Right? Maybe we didn't sin by what we did. Maybe we sinned by what we didn't do. And so one of the things that when we have condemning thoughts, if I have a known sin in my life, then the first thing I should do in the grace of God is repent and confess that sin. I mean, literally, God, I am wrong with you. I chose that thing. I shouldn't have. I knew it. Now I'm sitting in a bucket load of crap, and I don't like it. And I am sorry. Your word is right. The wages of sin are death, and I'm dead right now. And I need you to flush that out of my heart because it's killing me. Our conscience works. Now, you can harden your conscience, you can fry your conscience, you can deaden your conscience, but our consciences work, and it's telling us that something's wrong. The absolute best move here is to repent and come back under God's authority and seek his forgiveness. Really, if you think about sin, all sin really is is, God, you've got your way. You know what? I think I'm smarter than you. I'm going to jump out of here and do it my way and prove that my way is better than your way. And all repentance is jumping back under, and I was wrong, right? Okay, so step one. But step number two, take every thought captive. Uh, this is hard in an era of education and a culture of education because the more thoughts, the more access we have, the smarter we are. And we have access to information today that is mind-blowing. 
mean we've got not just TV, more than three channels, right? You ever look at those 780 channels and go, I wonder who watches all those, right, kind of thing? But you've got TV, you've got your, your computer, you've got the internet, you've got your phone, you've got... I, the, the amount of information is so staggering that many of us are on what they call information overload, right? We just got to shut it off. We can't swallow it, that stuff anymore. But here's the point. When we live in this world of massive uh, it, massive uh, influence of thoughts, we have to realize not every thought comes from God. All thoughts must be discerned as to their source. All thoughts have a source. They come from somewhere. So there are not thoughts just floating through the air and I see a thought this morning and go, awesome, Okay. That's not how it works. Now you say, oh, yeah, it does, Steve, because there's radio waves and there's TV waves and there's that, and that kind of stuff. But those thoughts all have sources. There are people who put those thoughts together and sent them out over the airwaves. And so all thoughts have sources. And so there are really only a couple of places where thoughts can come from. They can come from myself, right? You create thoughts. They can come from other people. They can come from God. And they can come from Satan. Now, ultimately, we can take other people out of the equation because their thoughts ultimately come from God or Satan. So really, there's only three places where thoughts can really come from. Myself, God, or Satan. If I know that, then I have to screen the thoughts that are coming through my heart, my mind, my eyes, and I have to be able to identify the source of that thought. The other trick in this is that when Satan lies to us, the thoughts often come to us in first or second person. You're saying, well, what do you mean? When Satan whispers to you, he doesn't walk in and go, hi, I'm the devil. I'd like to fry you for all eternity. So this is the thought I have for you. Would you accept that today? Oh, thank you, Satan, very much. Yes, I would. Okay. No, that's not, that would not work, right? If, if Satan manifested himself on the stage here, right? What would we do? We would all cry out and start praying. That doesn't work. That pushes us closer to God. It's way too obvious. When we say spiritual warfare, especially if you're a guy, you think of tanks and bombs and guns and bazookas and... Right? Think subtle. Think cold water. Think lying. Think whispering. Subtle can be really effective. You ever walk down the sidewalk and somebody barely brushes you and off the curb you go, right? Subtle can be really powerful. And Satan knows how to lie subtly. So it comes like this. I'm bad. I'm not worthy. I'm ugly. And then another voice says, yeah, you are ugly. Oh, man, I'm ugly. And we start believing we're ugly. And a lot of times I'll ask people when they come in my office, well, who told you that? Well, I don't know, that's just who, who uh, just how I am. But who told you that? And it starts to dawn on them that there is actually another person talking to them that is not God. That they didn't stop to think about where is that voice coming from? And once they start, one or two things happen. They get really excited like, oh, well, okay, I can separate this out. Or they get really freaked out that Satan's talking to them. 
right? Then you have to go back and say, okay, you don't have to be afraid. Satan's talking to everybody. God is talking to everybody, and God is greater than our hearts. God is greater than Satan. So if you can identify what God is saying, you can track. Neil Anderson says that if the thought is not from God, it must be rejected and not played with. Have you ever had a bad thought that you knew wasn't from God, but you wanted to play with it for a while? I'll just pet it for 10 minutes. Nice thought. Pretty thought. Then it scratches and bites you, and you go, what happened? Okay. Thoughts must be brought under the authority of Christ. Now, how do you do that? Okay, here's a great way to bring thoughts under authority of Christ. Second part, chapter and verse. When a thought comes to your mind, is there a place in Scripture that you can back that thought up with? In other words, is there somewhere you can match it so that you know that it lines up with Scripture? Uh, what am I talking about here? Um, this is very important because two of Satan's favorite strategies, number one is to twist scripture. He likes to twist it. And if you actually go back and read it, you realize that's not what it actually says. Right? Do you ever have one of those? Okay. And then the second one is Satan loves to use what I call three quarters of a truth with a hook. Satan's a smart dude. And he knows scripture, by the way. He can quote it. And he'll quote truth, 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 hook, lie and get you reeling and off course. It's imperative, again, that you would know the word, what the word of God says for yourself. Again, my strongest appeal would be for you to read through the New Testament by yourself, for you to read through the Old Testament by yourself. If you read four chapters a day, you can read through the entire Bible in less than a year. And that's skipping Saturdays and Sunday, and even missing some in there. If you read two chapters a day, you can read through the entire New Testament in less than six months, which means if you set your mind to it, you could read through the New Testament twice in one year. By then, you would know where stuff is, and you would have a much clearer picture of what actually God says, and if someone's lying to you, why it's a lie. You've got to know it for yourself. Here's why. Because in the middle of a lie or a temptation, or a condemning thought, Satan is not going to stop and say, oh, would you like to call Pastor Steve and fact check this? No, I, I'm probably not going to be around, right? I, I, you can't get a hold of me that quickly. You can't always go to Pastor Steve and fact check. You, thankfully, most of the time we can, but no, you, you've got you to know. Let's say you're battling a condemning thought. You have to be able to say, no, that is not true. I know that's not true. Because in, for example, let's take a condemning thought, right? In condemning thought, you could say, no, I know that's not true because in Romans 8, 1, it says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in, right? There's that identity, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Boom, that blows that thought right up. So you don't have to let those thoughts beat you up. So that thought couldn't possibly have come from God. Therefore, I reject that thought. I'm not going to listen to it. I'm not going to play with it. And you can actually say in this language, in the name of Jesus, I oppose you and cast that thought out of my mind and out of consideration. I'm not going to think that anymore. I'm not going to play with it. 
The fourth one that is really helpful when your heart condemns you is to review the promises of God. Now, if you've read through scripture a lot, what's great when this happens, a lot of this stuff just pops in, in your mind. A lot of times when people meet with me uh, up in my office, I'll, I'll say, oh, you just quoted scripture and I'll take them to a passage and show it to them. They'll go, oh my gosh, how did you know that? How'd you know that was there? Well, I cheat, I'm a pastor, <laughs> right? But really, that's not why I cheat. How I cheat is I've read through the Bible for the last 40 years, once a year, I go through it and I read it and I refresh where everything is. And when somebody says something, bang, that's there, bang, that's there, bang, that's there, bang, that's there. And it really helps with what I do, okay? But guess what? It would really help you with what you do. That is not just a pastor thing. It is for the body of Christ to know the word, not just the pastor. I can croak, right? Then what are you gonna do? You, you got to know the word, all right? So review the promises. Uh, but here's the thing. Under pressure, right? And you know what I'm talking about when pressure hits. Suddenly your back is up against all. When pressure hits, it's, it's very hard to recall what, what the promises are or where they are, right? Uh, there's promises, God, promises, God, promises, God. Blank, oh, right? It's not working, do you know that there are over 750 promises of God in the New Testament alone towards you? 750. What are they? Well, you should read it and find out. It's excellent. By the way, if that seems daunting to you, okay, techie people, all you got to do is Google New Testament promises of God, and you can out print out the list. And you can have those lists in your Bible or in, in your briefcase or in your dorm room or wherever. You can pin them up in your bathroom. You can put them on the fridge. And, and every time you go by there, look at it and you can remind yourself of the promises of God. It pays to go over that list and remind yourself of the faithfulness and the goodness of God. That's how you know he's good is you know what the promises are. And then the last one, the fifth one, is what do you do when condemning thoughts? Flip the script. This is my favorite one, okay? This one isn't in the book. This one's from Steve, so I'll give it to you. Uh, so I, I did not grow up in a, in a, well, let's put it this way. I grew up in a good background, and I made it a bad background, all right? I am one of those people who chose to go and find out what the world was. And I, first year in college, we blew the world up. Second year in college, the world blew me up. And, uh, and I've told the story before of, how God chased me and I ended up coming to Christ in a powdered milk factory at three in the morning. All right, so I have a lot of condemning thoughts. In the middle of quiet times, in the middle of prayer, in the middle of whatever, all of a sudden, bah, boom, there's a memory from 25, 35, now 45 years ago. <laughs> Funny how old they are, they're still alive. Those suckers don't die, right? So I'll be like, and I used to freak out. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh God, I'm so, oh, please forgive me. And I just go into this huge guilt thing. Then I'd be in a worse wreck than when I started. I thought, you know what? This is not working. This just isn't working. I got to think through something else. And so what I came up with is um, this tactic. And what I like about it is it eliminates two tactics of the enemy in one blow. So let's say that you're at your house all alone, you're having a quiet time, and 
Satan brings one of your sins to your mind. Let's, let's say it's a sin from your past and a while ago. And it's particularly a bad one for you. You, you would not want anybody to know this. You cringe, you get fearful. Uh, what if God were to find out? Do you remember the God, John's exhortation to us? What did he say? God is greater than our hearts. And what? He knows everything. And one of the things I realized is I was cringing for the wrong reason because I was acting like God didn't know what I had done 40 years ago. Matter of fact, he knew what I had done 40 years ago way better than what I knew I had done 40 years ago. And so this idea, it, grace steps with that idea. So when Satan attacks and accuses, which he, by the way, he's very good at, right? The instinct to fight is to fight or to hide from God. Oh my goodness, on judgment day, what am I going to do, right? Man, Satan tells you, you're going to get your butt kicked. Oh, you're in trouble. God is displeased with you. There come the condemning thoughts. Right? Just pave payload over you. So here's what I do. Instead of fighting with Satan over that, I agree with him. When Satan brings things up, I go and I take it and I go, yep. I turn to God and said, you know what, God? I did that. He's exactly right. He brought it up exactly the way it happened. And a matter of fact, God, you know what? I'm not even going to ask you for forgiveness anymore because I know you forgave that. You forgave that a long time ago. Here's the stunning part. Now, 40 years later, I can see that for what it really is. And I can see how evil that actually is. And what I'm coming to you right now, God, is I'm coming to you to ask you not for forgiveness because I know that you have forgiven, I'm coming to apologize. And you know why I'm apologizing, God, Father God? Because I can now see that for what it really was, and I cannot believe you actually forgave that. I am stunned. You are great. I am not. And I need to stick tight with you, because any God who would forgive that is a God that I need to stay loyal to. So I agree with him. I take it right to God. After all, why not? Why? God knows what? Everything. This is where Satan gets us. He's going to bring it up to God. He's going to tattletale. He's going to let it out of the bag. You're in trouble. It's already out of the bag. God knows. And therefore, go right to God with it. The genius in this is it makes me lean into my relationship with God and not away from him. Which is what Satan's strategy is when he brings my sin up. He wants to use it as, to wedge me away from God. Right? Isn't that how it works for you? Right? Same thing for me. And it, it, we get stuck with that. Uh, and by the way, you can do something else with this. The old way of saying it was that when Satan reminds you of your past, you can remind him of his future. Right? You can play offensive on this. You can, you can flip the script. Uh, you brought that up, and that's right, but you know what? Jesus forgave that. You forgot. You left that part out of it. And by the way, we both know where you're going. So, out of here. And you'd be astonished in the name of Jesus. He has to go. 
John sets us all up and then encourages his people, and he says this by saying this. Look at verses 21 and 22. Beloved, if our, hearts, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. It is an amazing grace, taking a pun line off of that famous hymn, to walk in freedom and confidence with God, to live unhindered out of the shadows with him. Prayer becomes natural and balanced. Father, here's what I'm thinking, but I'd like to submit it to your authority and wisdom. Which way would you like to go? I'm going to move this way, turn the wheel, whichever way you want to go. To live a, a pleasing life before God is a wonderful thing. And Satan will try to do everything in his power to keep us from experiencing that. What about keeping his commandments? Oh, yeah, he'll whisper again. There's that big to-do list. There's all this stuff you bang, 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 right? What does John line out? Look at verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son. The very first commandment is what? You need to believe in Jesus. And that love one another just as he has commanded us. So the very first commandment is we need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, trust the grace and salvation that comes from him. And the second is that we love each other like he has loved us. John will have a lot more to say about this as we continue to go through the book. Let's keep moving on. Verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. Remember John using that word abide? We are to abide within. That means dwell together. And God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Romans says it this way. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In other words, you're going to line up with who you identify with. Verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. We're going to go to communion. So online, we're going to do communion right now. Please get your elements ready. Uh, Go ahead around you and uh, get ready. Let me grab mine. As we think about this this morning, as we think about what Jesus did on the cross, what's it saying? God is greater than our hearts. He knows everything. Therefore, come to him. Go to him. Be with him. Seek him out. Call out to him. He is greater than our hearts. And on that cross, he did something that nobody else could do. He took that body and it was nailed to the cross. It says it was broken, shattered on that cross for our sin, for your sin, my sin. We don't have to live under that guilt anymore. Jesus, when he was doing the Last Supper, said, knew this was going to be a universal symbol, not only with the disciples, but with the church as a whole. And he said what? Eat this in memory of me. Who do you know who would die for you or bleed for you? Who would go down for you? 
Sandy points it down. Thank you, Sandy. Who, who, would, who would die for you? Not many. Long before you were here, Jesus thought of you. Long before you were here, he paid the price. Long before you were here, he spilt his blood. God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Jesus says, drink this in memory of me. When we celebrate freedom this weekend, remember we're not celebrating so much the freedom of our country. We're celebrating the freedom of eternal life. The kingdom of God is still here. Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Whether we are far away or close, we need to be ready for his coming, and we need not to shrink back when he comes. That would be true of our life right now. So if he's talking to you this morning, don't shrink back. Lean towards him. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this and, and these ideas of how to deal with condemning thoughts. A lot there, I'm not sure what stood out or what caught people's attention. Though, Lord, I seek you this morning that you would highlight whatever you'd like them to uh, underline and pay attention to, what would be helpful for them in their daily walk with you. What would work for them when they're not here? Lord, we seek you for that. We ask that you would equip us, but that we'd also allow you to equip us. May we cooperate, and may we learn that not all thoughts come from you. Lord, help us track with yours, and we give that to you in your name. Amen.